Father, as we have been looking at this character, Jacob, and we've seen what a deceiver he is and uh, just how uh, much of a, uh, how much he's lacking in his walk with you. And uh, Lord, he's, he, he needs lots of help. And Lord, you're going to give him that help in the form of a boot camp, Lord, that we're going to see begin today as we look at chapter number 29. Lord, it's something you do in all of our lives. There's times when we go through uh, some difficult times and uh, almost times that seem to be wasted years, Lord, but in your eyes they're not because you're working in our lives, Lord. You're preparing us for something that you want to do in our uh, lives uh, on this earth and, Lord, uh, things you want to work in us that will uh, carry on throughout eternity. So, Lord, I just ask that uh, we learn uh, and see today as we look at this this chapter uh, just how uh, you worked in Jacob's life and, and how that applies to our lives here today. Lord, we just again just ask that you teach us today by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. I just ask for that and we pray in your precious name. Amen. When when I was in college, uh, all the discipline that my military father had instilled in me as I was growing up went right out the window. I mean, my uh, parents were stationed in Italy when I was in college, and so uh, I was free at last. That's the way I saw it. And uh, I got up when I wanted to get up, which was 9 or 10 o'clock, even if I had a eight o'clock class. I didn't get up till nine o'clock. I uh, went to bed when I wanted to go to bed. Sometimes I didn't even go to bed. Uh, I drank what I wanted to drink. drink. I'm not going to tell you about what I drank, but I I drank what I wanted to drink. I ate what I wanted to eat that I could afford to eat. Uh, And I went wherever I wanted to. And I went in style in my baby blue Mustang that I had. So so, uh, there were no rules And the only reason that I made it through college was that I had to keep that 2S so I didn't go off to the Army and I didn't go off to Vietnam. And that's what got me through college. But the day after I graduated, they shipped me off to Fort Lewis, Washington, uh, where I was in for a rude awakening. I can tell you right now, because I got up when they told me to get up. I went to bed when they told me to get to go to bed, and they, we went to bed early, and we got up really early. Uh, I ate what they wanted me to eat. Uh, I went only where they wanted me to go, and I didn't go in my baby blue Mustang. We ran wherever we, we went. And there were lots of rules, and there was punishment uh, in store for those who didn't keep those rules. Man, I had to even do things like shine my shoes and make my bed, things I'd never thought of before uh, while I was in college. So uh, that wasn't all. I mean, they had these terrible green monsters in in basic training. They would wake you up in the middle of the night, and they would scream at you. They called them uh, drill sergeants. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I remember telling my bunkmate the first night we were there, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Uh, This is going to be rough. Now, what does all that have to do with old Jacob? Well, uh, at 75, he was sort of like I was when I was in college. 
He was a spoiled brat, and he pretty much did what he wanted to do. He went where he wanted to go, and there weren't many rules. He, he pretty much had it made, and, and uh, he was a guy who did whatever it took to get what he wanted in life. And so as we come to chapter 29, God's about to change all of that. He's in for a rude awakening. So uh, he's about to, to, to have a different life, and we'll see that here in just a few minutes. But let's go back to where we left off. If you remember when we left off last time, Jacob had left home. Uh, he was running for his life, really, running from Esau. Esau was threatened to kill him. Uh, but he was also looking for a bride. And so he began his journey to, t- towards Mesopotamia. And uh, he came to Bethel after a couple of days. And, and uh, uh, he saw the Lord and he saw a ladder. Uh, coming down from heaven, and he saw the angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And uh, uh, he heard a word from the Lord, and the Lord told him that he was going to be with him, he was going to protect him, he was going to guide him, uh, and that uh, uh, I'm going to be your God. And, and Jacob said, you can be my God if you do certain things. And so, so he, he really at this point, I think, thought he had it made, that he had really arrived. Uh, but God's got some plans for him, and, and uh, he's got something different in mind for him. He's going to send him on a journey where he's going to be in boot camp, a boot camp for 20 years. He's going to have his own drill sergeant. It's going to be old Uncle Laban, and, and we're going to see that as we, we go into this chapter today. So go with me to chapter number 29, and let's pick up in verse number 1. And we pick up in verse number 1, and it says, So Jacob went on his journey. And he came to the land of the people of the east. So he meets God at Bethel. God makes all these wonderful promises to him. He re- renews the Abrahamic covenant. And then Jacob leaves Bethel, probably stayed there a couple of days. And then he leaves. Uh, he's, he heads toward Haran. Uh, he goes through Syria. He crosses the Euphrates River and he heads into Mesopotamia. And uh, uh, as we come to verse number one, uh, he's arrived pretty much in Haran at this point and pick up in verse number two and uh, we don't get the details of his journey but but we know that everything worked out and he makes it there and and as we come to verse number two he's in Haran and he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold there were three flocks of sheep lying by it for out of the well they watered their flocks a large stone was on the well's mouth now all the flocks would be gathered there And they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. So you have all of these shepherds in that area that are going to this well, this particular well. Now, I believe this is more than likely the very well that Eleazar came to when he was looking for a bride for Isaac. You remember the story. We covered it just a few chapters back where Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to find a bride for Isaac. And he came to this well and he found Rebekah. Well, Jacob is coming to this exact same well. And he gets there and all the shepherds have gathered there and they're waiting for the stone to be rolled away so they can water the flocks. They rolled it away once or twice a day and they watered the flocks and then the, then the sheep went out and, and fed in the pastures. And so they all gathered there to, to, at, at the well's mouth to, to feed the sheep. And pick up in verse number four. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nabor? 
And they said, we know him. So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter, Rachel, is coming with the sheep. So this is very similar to what happened to Eleazar. So here's Jacob. He lands at the well at the right time. Uh, He's at the exact well he needs to be. And here comes Rachel, and she has the sheep with him. I mean, she has her sheep. She's herding sheep, and she's coming to the well. More than likely, that well belonged to Laban, and and they couldn't open the well until she opened it up, and then those shepherds would either pay her or or he. I don't see this guy as being a, a kind man, so I think more than likely he took money for anybody that took water from his well. So they're all gathered there at the well, and and uh, Jacob is there, and he sees Rachel coming. Now, I want to look at these two stories for a minute before we go on and, and look at the differences between the two stories. Here was Eleazar. And what did Eleazar, if you remember the story, what did Eleazar do when he came to the well? He came to the well, and he prayed. And remember what he prayed. He said, Lord, help me to find a bride for my master's son, uh, Isaac. You do this for me. And so he, the first thing he does is pray. And then he threw out the fleece. You remember that? He said, let her come while I'm here and let her be a beautiful woman. Let her be from the, from the family of, of Abraham and uh, let her come to me and show her kindness by offering to water my camels. And remember, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what she did. But here's Jacob now, and you look at the story of Jacob, and there's nothing said about him praying. I don't think he prayed at all. He certainly didn't throw out the fleece. What did he do? He showed up. He showed up. He just, in his mind, he just happened upon this well. In God's mind, he didn't happen upon that well. But he didn't pray. He didn't throw out the fleece. He just shows up. And the results are the same. Now, that that doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, he goes to the well, Eliezer does the right thing, he prays, he throws out the fleece, and he finds a bride for Isaac. Here's Jacob, he show, all he does is show up, and he finds his bride. I mean, we can learn something from those two contrasting stories. One is, the one thing we learn here is that God is sovereign, and that by his providence, he's going to get his will done, one way or the other, whether we pray or we don't pray. I can tell you that right now. You know what? You're going to be exactly where God wants you to be. If you're a child of God, and we're talking about children of God here. If you're not a child of God, hey, you're in, you're, your life is a crapshoot for you. But if you're, if you're, a, if you're a child of God, then, then, then you, God is going to get you where he wants to get you when he wants to get you there, whether you pray or not, whether you throw the fleece out or not. Listen to what David says about being a child of God. Listen to what he says in Psalm 139. He says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. You saw me in my mother's womb unformed. And in your book, listen to this carefully, the days you had fashioned for my life were all written when as yet there were none of them. Before I'd had my first day on this earth, God had written all my days down in his book. He knew exactly what I was going to do in my life and where he was going to get me in my life, and he knows that for you too. He knew that for David, and he knows that for us. Well, here's the question that someone might ask at this point. I mean, if 
God's going to get us there, whether we pray or not, then why pray? Why throw out the fleece? Why not just do your thing and let God get you there? Well, that's why you want to look at these two stories and contrast these stories. Uh, Here was Eleazar. Eleazar was a man who understood Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. A very important passage, by the way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Eleazar had come to the point in his life that he knew that. And so he made things simple for himself. He prayed, he threw out the fleece, he got exactly what he wanted, and he went home. Now here was old Jacob, on the other hand, who relied on his own strength and his own intuition. He didn't pray. He hadn't learned to lean on the Lord and trust in the Lord with all of his heart. And so how long did it take him to get back home? 20 years. You see the difference? Look, I can watch and observe people in this room. I can observe your life. I can watch how things are going in your life. And I can, you don't even have to tell me whether you pray or not. I mean, I, I, I can see sometimes that, hey, boy, this person's really, look how God is orchestrating their life and how easy things are, how smoothly, not necessarily easy. You can be in really difficult circumstances, but they, things can still go smoothly. Or they can be haphazard and seem to take forever, and you just don't ever seem to get out of the rut you're in. You can't get out of that. Well, more than likely, it's because you haven't learned to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but to lean on him and in all your ways acknowledge him and let him direct your paths. See, Jacob hadn't learned that, and so it took Eleazar a few days, and he went home. It took Jacob 20 years in boot camp before he's going to go home. Now, I'm sure Eliezer had had his boot camp too, but he had made it through, and now he's, he's living life the way God intended for him to live life. Now, there's no doubt that God ordered Jacob's day, days. I mean, those 20 years were planned before the foundation of the world for Jacob and, and so that God could get Jacob to the point that he would trust in the Lord uh, with all his heart and lean not on his own understanding. I mean, after 20 years, Jacob becomes who? His name changes. He becomes Israel. It took 20 years in boot camp to get him to that point. But he came to the point where he truly walked with God and he trusted God. And, and, and life didn't get easy for Jacob at that point, but it, it, but it took on purpose and meaning and, and things were, there, there was a lot less things Jacob had to go through once he became Israel then he had to go through uh, when, he was, when he was living on his own without the Lord. See, what the Lord is trying to do in all of us, he wants to produce faith. He wants to produce faith and obedience. He wants to produce a loving faith. where He wants us to love him for who he is, not for what we can get for him. He wants us to love, uh, love him for, for, for who he is. And he wants us to be grateful in, in, in every circumstance, whether the circumstance is good or the circumstance is bad. And so he takes us through these boot camps. I think some of us have been in boot camp a long time to bring us to that point where we truly have that kind of faith, where we truly love the Lord. And it takes a while. You know, when I was back in boot camp in 1971, it lasted eight weeks. I don't know how long it lasts now. Somebody in this room probably knows. It probably still lasts eight weeks. They don't change much in the Army. But it lasted eight weeks. 
And then you were off to your MOS training and, and what other, other future training you might do, and then maybe off to war at that point. But I remember for some people it lasted a lot longer because they had a thing when I was in basic training called remedial training. And what happened, if you couldn't make the run or you couldn't obey orders or you couldn't do PT, you couldn't do your push-ups and your chin-ups and all that kind of stuff, they would send you to remedial training, and then when you got through remedial training, you would start all over again. Uh, I don't know what they do today. If they still do that, they might just discharge people that don't make it now. I don't know. But but back then, that's the way they did it. And there were some guys that stayed in there a long time before they got out of basic training. But it was only supposed to last about eight weeks. See... God's boot camp, the boot camp that he's going to put you through, he might be putting you through now, he's already put you through. It can be either short and sweet like it was for Eleazar, or it can last a long, long time like it did for Jacob. A lot of that depends upon us. It depends upon, uh, first of all, what kind of shape we were in when we got saved. I got to tell you, my boot camp's been a long time. I might still be in it. Uh, I wonder sometimes. Sometimes I think I've arrived, but, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, but I was a big mess when God saved me. I remember guys coming into, into basic training, and they, you know, they weighed about 250 pounds, and it looked like they'd never run a day in their life. All they did was eat. And I was thinking, man, you're going to have a rough time. You're going to have a really rough time. How they got in the Army, I don't know. Back then, in, during Vietnam, they were taking anybody, any warm body. So... So uh, they got in, but, but you knew they weren't going to make it, and they would go off and they would put them into remedial training. So it depends a lot on what kind of shape you come in, into this thing. You know, if you're a pretty decent person and you get saved, I don't know many decent person who, persons who get saved, people who get saved, but if you were, it probably didn't take you as long in boot camp as it's taken me to get through boot camp. Uh, it also depends on your willingness to obey orders. I'm going to tell you what right now. If you're disobedient to God, if you're living a life of disobedience, God is going to break you. He is going to break you. And, and if you're still disobedient to the Lord, you're still in boot camp. I can tell you that right now. And he is going to break you. In his time, if you're his child, hey, if he just lets you do what you want and you just do your own thing and, and, and you're just out there, again, life is a crapshoot for you. I'm not talking to you. But if you're a child of God, if you're ever going to be a child of God, God is going to break you of your disobedience. He is going to make you obedient. He wants us to have faith, and he wants us to have obedience. I love that hymn, old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be, in ha- to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's what God is seeking for all of us. That's what he wants for all of our lives. All right, now, now uh, Jacob's going to meet his wife. And he's going to meet his drill sergeant as we carry on in, in uh, this text. So, so pick up with me in, in verse number 7. Then he said, now here's Jacob. Here's Jacob this deceiver. He's a brash guy. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He's got to, he's got to be broken. Because look at what he does right here. It just, just shows you a little tip of the iceberg of what kind of character he has. He just kind of takes charge here. I mean, he's never been there before, and now he's going to tell these shepherds. He says, look, it's still high day. you got time to feed your sheep. Hey, hey, water your sheep. Pull the stone back. I mean, steal you a little water. That's what I would do. Water your sheep and go and feed them. 
But they said, hey, we can't do that until all the flocks are gathered here. We're going to do the right thing. Till the owner gets here and they roll back the stone and the wells mount and then we will water our sheep. I think Jacob saw Rachel coming and he kind of wanted to be alone with Rachel. So he wants these these sheep herders out of there. And so so uh, he, he, he just says, hey, man, just roll it back, water it, and nobody's going to know the difference and get on out of here. That's the way he operated. Then in verse, uh, then in verse number uh, 9, I think is where we left off. Now while he was still speaking, Rachel came with her father's sheep, and she was a shepherdess. Now that's interesting. She's, she's the daughter of a very wealthy man. So this tells us something about Laban here. She's the daughter of a very wealthy man, and those sheep are not her sheep. They're her father's sheep, and she's working for her father as a shepherdess. I mean, Laban was a guy who used people. He saw people as tools. He saw his daughters as tools to increase his wealth. He was that kind of person. You know, I don't think Uncle Laban ever got saved. I don't think he ever went to boot camp. He just did what he wanted to his whole life. And one of the things he did was just to use people. And it came to pass, verse number 10, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, and watch what he does. This is pretty brash. He rolled the stone from the well's mouth. He's a pretty strong guy, too, to be able to do that. Now, remember, he's 75 years old at this point. But he's going to show everybody, he's going to show Rachel just how kind he is and, and how he's going to water everybody's sheep and how, he's, how strong he is. He's going to roll the stone back. So he rolled the stone back from the well's mouth and watered the flock uh, of Laban, his mother's brother. So he, he, he does all the work for her. I mean, he just takes charge. And, and I mean, just, just look at how, how brash this guy is. Uh, and then in verse number 11, he does something even brasher. Watch what he does. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. I mean, Eliezer didn't do any of these kind of things. Here's this guy. He has zero humility. I mean, he's a prideful man. He's a brash man. And so he kisses Rachel. And then I think he does something that probably didn't impress her too much. He lifted up his voice and he wept like a little baby, 75-year-old baby. And Jacob told Rachel that, he was his father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. So she ran and told her father. Now, some commentators said she was just full of joy. And so she ran off to, to tell her father what, what, that she had seen a relative and, and she was in love with him. I don't think so. I think she saw this guy as some kind of weirdo, some kind of 75-year-old weirdo, and she wanted out of there. And so she ran and said, Dad, get the police. This guy's done opened up the well. He's watering the sheep. He's not collecting the money. Uh, uh, he kissed me on the mouth, and he says he's one of our relatives. I think he's a weirdo. We need to do something about this guy. But Laban, remember, hadn't seen his sister in over 100 years. He hadn't seen Rebecca. And so he wants to know about his sister. I mean, he's excited when he hears the fact that one of his, uh, that her son, his nephew has arrived there at the well. And so when, then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him. And he embraced him and kissed him. These guys did a lot of kissing. And brought him to his house. 
So he told Laban all these things. So Laban's glad to see Jacob. And and uh, he, he's got a lot of catching up to do. And so, so I'm no, no doubt Jacob tells him everything that had happened uh, since Rebecca had left and, and about the twins and about the fact that he had the birthright. But it's interesting, he doesn't tell, I don't think he tells Laban why he's there. I don't think he tells him that he wants a bride, that he's come for a bride and he... His mother had instructed him to find a bride from his family, from Uncle Laban's family, one of his daughters. And so I don't think he's ready to ask him that because he doesn't trust that the fact that Laban will tell him yes. And so he, again, acts differently from Eleazar. Remember what Eleazar did? He came in and immediately spoke his case. He was an honest man. He was an upfront man. He wasn't a deceiver. And he said, look, I want... Rebecca, I want to take Rebecca back uh, to be uh, to be bride for my for my bastard son Isaac, and and uh, then they tried to get him to stay, and he said, "I'm not going to stay," and and uh, so he gave him the gave Laban the dowry, and he left, and he was there a few days. But here's Jacob, and Jacob's thinking, you know what? I'm going to stick around a while, and I'm going to plot out a way to get that to get Rachel to be my wife. He doesn't trust the Lord. He's not strong enough to to face Laban and just say what's on his mind like Eliezer was because he's a deceiver at this point. He's not going to be that all his life, but he is at this point. And so uh, he's going to be there 20 years. But anyway, and Laban said to him, he heard everything he had to say. He said, surely you are my close relative. You are my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, almost like we hear from in Genesis. And he stayed there for a month. And no doubt during that month, he worked for Uncle Laban. He said, offered, he said, let me work for you. He said, I'm a sheep herder too, and I can help you, and I can, you know, help you grow your flocks. And, and uh, he stayed there, and he impressed old Uncle Laban. He stayed there for a month. Uh, and and uh, uh, he proved himself to be a hard worker. And so Laban says to him in verse number 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, you, there, you therefore serve me for nothing. Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, there are a lot of commentators when you come to this part of the verse that will tell you that Leah was an ugly duckling or she was an old maid. I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, she was Rachel's sister. She was older than Rachel, which probably would have fit the situation in Jacob's life better than a younger lady like Rachel. She was older than Rachel, but but uh, I don't... She, she wasn't as beautiful in form and appearance as Rachel, but I think she was a pretty woman. I don't think you could write her off as an, as an ugly woman. The, the, in fact, we're told the difference between the two, and that is that her eyes were delicate. What that means, her eyes were lighter. To a Middle Eastern man, you know, one of the things that define beauty are those dark, black, Middle Eastern eyes. And Leah didn't have those. 
She might have had blue eyes. And it was probably made her really a pretty woman in her own right. So I don't, I don't think she was an ugly woman at all. And, and she had to be pretty close in form to, to Rachel because Jacob is going to make love to her uh, here in just a minute. And, and uh, uh, he doesn't notice the difference. I mean, if she weighed 300 pounds, he would have known, hey, yeah, you, you're not, you know, you're not Rachel. But he didn't know the difference. So she had to be pretty close in form to, to, to Rachel. So we're told the story. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. And he sees this window of opportunity here. And so he said, I will serve you. And, and I don't know where he came up with this number, but I think it was a big mistake. But Laban jumps all over it. He said, I will serve you for free for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban's licking his chops. I'm going to get my, I'm going to get me a lot of money out of this guy. Money's worth of labor out of this guy. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to one of these guys that aren't part of our family, to another man. Stay with me. We got a deal. So you just stay with me. Stay with me those seven years. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed like only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. What a story. He loved her so much that those seven years flew by just like that. You know, I've been married 36 years. And I got to tell you, as far as my marriage goes, those 36 years have flown by just like that. I'm a blessed man. Don't tell my wife I said that, but I'm a, I'm a blessed man. Really a blessed man. I mean, the opposite can happen. If you're married to somebody that you can't stand, time doesn't speed up. It slows down. I mean, Solomon says it right. It's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than in a house with a contentious woman. Women, I, let me reverse that. For you, it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than live in a house with a contentious man. That, that, story, that thing goes both ways. Uh, that's why Paul says it like this. He says, no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it. I mean, what's, it, what's he mean by that? When you treat your wife wrong, husbands... When you treat your wife mean, you know who you're hurting? You're hurting yourself. You're making your own life miserable. And, and we can vice versa that thing too. Wives, you treat your husband's wrong. And your days are going to be long and slow. It's going to be, you're going to have a hard time. You've got a bad marriage. Life slows down. And it gets really difficult. So, so anyway, here's Jacob. And, and man, those seven years went just like that because... He had so much love for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, verse number 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Now, he had to go to Laban. Obviously, Laban let him work eight years or nine years or ten years. So the seven years were up, and, and Jacob goes to him. He says, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And so Laban said, okay. And he, he gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now, he makes a feast. And at that feast, no doubt, there's lots of wine. And Jacob's drinking lots of wine, and they're having a great time. And he gets Jacob sort of drunk. And now it came to pass in the evening when Jacob was, was, was getting drunk that, that he took Leah, his daughter, 
and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob went into her and had sexual relationship with her. So here's Jacob. He's drinking a lot of wine. Uh, and no doubt what Laban did, he had Leah put on some of Rachel's clothes and maybe some of Rachel's perfume so that she smelled like uh, 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 Rachel. And then he had her put a veil on her face so he, Jacob couldn't see her face, and it was dark. And he told her, look, you know, speak really low. And don't speak much because you don't want him to recognize your voice. You want him to think it's, it's Rachel. And uh, then he presented her to Jacob, and Jacob was fooled. He was deceived, and he went in, and he had sex with Leah. That story sound familiar at all? Isn't that exactly what Jacob and Rebekah had done to Esau and their father? They had deceived him the same sort of way, uh, and it's going to cause him all sorts of problems. He's, he's not only going to get Leah, he gets Leah's maid, and Laban gave his maid Zilpha, to his daughter Leah as a maid, and she's going to become Jacob's concubine. And from Zilpah, we're going to get Gad and Asher. We'll get to that story later on uh, in, in, a, in coming weeks. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, he woke up, and he wasn't in bed with Rachel. He was in bed with Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why have you deceived me? I'll tell you why he deceived him. Because Jacob's in boot camp. He's in God's boot camp. And in God's boot camp, God is going to teach you to do the right thing. And he's going to teach the deceiver what it feels like to be deceived. I mean, you deceived me. And Jacob's thinking, you know, how can you be so low as to deceive me? How low? Hello, what you sow is what you reap. You reap, you sow deception, you're going to reap deception. And Laban said, verse number 28, uh, verse number 26, and Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. And that's true. In that culture, that older daughter had to get married off before the younger daughters could get married off. And the father wouldn't give away the younger daughter until his older daughter was married. And so, so that's true, but he knew that going in, and he should have told Jacob that going in. So he says to her, fulfill her week. Now, that's not seven years. In, a, in Hebrew, a week could be a period of any seven. It's seven days. Fulfill her week. Fulfill the, the honeymoon, you know, the, 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 the week of your first week of marriage. And then we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me still another seven years. So what he's doing, he's selling his daughters for, 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 to, to make Jacob his slave. And, uh, now, but Jacob didn't have to wait to get Rachel. I mean, he, he, he has Rachel now, and uh, he's officially a polygamist. He's got Rachel. He's got uh, uh, Leah. He's got two concubines, and it's going to cause him a lot of trouble. It's going to cause his wife's a lot of trouble. It's going to cause those handmaids a lot of trouble, and it's going to cause his sons a lot of trouble. We're going to see that in, in future weeks. Uh, uh, and he also buys him another seven years in boot camp. And then Jacob did so and fulfilled the week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife also. Watch what happens in verse number 29. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah 
to his daughter Rachel as a maid, and she became a concubine too. And uh, if you want explanation of that, read the dictionary. Uh, and from from uh, uh, Billa, we get Dan and Naphtali. He's going to have two sons from Billa. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And he served with Laban another seven years. Now, you know, I kind of wonder if Rachel loved him as much as he loved Rachel. You know, in the case of Isaac and Rebekah, the love was mutual. I mean, it was love at first sight for both of them. That's clear in the story. But here you're not told that. You're always told that Jacob loved Rachel. And I, and I don't know that Rachel really loved him. She, I think she was probably mad. She was a young girl. Her father had, had, had sold her off to get seven years of labor or whatever he could get out of, out of Jacob. Uh, he was part of the family. And so, you know, but, but she was almost like a piece of chattel. And I don't know that she ever, there's really, when you read the whole story, you never really see her greatly in love with Jacob. And Leah loved Jacob. And it's really interesting as the story progresses, Leah keeps showing this love for Jacob and she keeps getting rejected. But in the end, Rebecca, I mean, Rachel is buried in Bethlehem and he buries Leah at Machpelah in the cave of the patriarch. So he, he honored her more than he actually honored Rachel. So, so I think he came over time to really love Leah. God certainly loved her. I mean, you can look at verse number 31. We won't, we won't go there today other, other than to read that. But when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb and Rachel was barren. So, so the Lord saw that she was hurt and the Lord blessed her with the first children that that uh, uh, Jacob would have. So, there you have it. I mean, here we got Jacob. Uh, he's got two wives. He's got two handmaids that you could call concubines or whatever you want to call them. And he's got a lot more than he had bargained for. He's, he's really got a mess, if you want to know the truth. And he's not going home anytime soon. I mean, he's got... He's already spent seven years in boot camp, and he's got another 14 years in boot camp with old Uncle Laban under, under, under old Uncle Laban's uh, tutelage. Uh, Jacob describes those years later on when we get to chapter 31, and listen to what he says about his boot camp. He says, listen to what he says in verse, beginning in verse 38 of chapter 31. He says, Though these 20 years I have been with you, speaking to Laban, been with you, with your ewes, with your female goats, and, and I have not miscarried uh, their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by the beast I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. I had to pay you back. There I was in the day, in the heat, and the drought, uh, and it consumed me. And in the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. I didn't get any sleep, just like, I'm, just like you don't when you're in boot camp. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for my sheep. And you have changed my wages 10 times. You have put me through you know what. You have put me through boot camp, basically what you've done. And, and uh, 
Here's what you want to see, though. It wasn't Laban who was ultimately putting Jacob through boot camp. Who was it? It was the Lord. It was the Lord trying to work out some things in Jacob. And what was he trying to work out in Jacob? What was his purposes for Jacob's boot camp? Well, Paul tells us exactly what they were over in, he doesn't mention Jacob, but he tells us what the purposes of our boot camp is over in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to what he says. Teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That's why God puts us through boot camp. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age in which we live. That's what God wanted to do in Jacob's life. And that's what he wants to do in our life. And he sends us through some sort of boot camp to get us to that point. Now, and what his ultimate goal is is for us to graduate from boot camp and then serve him. Serve him in where do soldiers go after they leave boot camp and MOS? Where do they go? They, if there's a war, they go off to war. See, that's what God's... If, if, if all God was interested in was saving us and, and getting us to heaven, that could be an immediate thing, couldn't it? We accept the Lord, we go straight to heaven, we're done with all of this. But he leaves us here for a purpose. He leaves us here to fight in this war. This war. And I got to tell you something. If, if you can't look at the news and see that we're in a battle right now between light and darkness, between good and evil, you are blind. And it's time the church wakes up and we get out of boot camp and out of remedial training and out of the situation we're in and wake up and get serious about our walk with God and get into the fray. And do something to try to help those around us to, that are lost to get saved. See, it's in boot camp. It's in the difficulties of life that God puts us through that we learn to lay aside our sin and to live soberly. To lay aside the things of this world for the things of God. Uh, it, that's exactly what the author of Hebrews says. He says, let us lay aside every weight. And sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. If you're a born-again believer, God isn't interested in you just making it through life. He's got a race for you. He's got a race for me. There's something he wants us to do. He's, set, he's got a plan for our life. And he wants us to grow up, to learn while we're in boot camp, to get out of boot camp and get into the race, to get into the war. And he, he uses his boot camp to bring us to a point where we're willing to do just that. Because it's in boot camp. When, when you're in boot camp, you untangle yourself from all the affairs of life. That's what you do. There's no mama, there's no daddy, there's no restaurants, there's no, there's no movies, there's no TV. You untangle, their purpose there is to untangle you from this world that you have been so entangled by. Isn't that what Paul says over in 2 Timothy 2, 4? No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he might please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who enlisted us as a soldier? When you got born again, 
If you're truly born again, you are enlisted in God's army as a soldier. And that's the way we should see ourselves. And, 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 and the reason none of us are in the fray like we should be is that we've entangled ourselves in this world. And God is going to bring hard times on us, boot camps, to untangle us from this world. When I was in basic training, even when I was in OCS, one of the things that they wanted to brainwash you about was to get you to love the army, to love war, to love killing people. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know if that's changed. I, you know, that was 50 years ago. But that's what, they, that's what they wanted us to do. Here we go. We're at it again. On our, uh, on our way to Vietnam to kill some Viet Cong. We used to sing that as we marched. You know, that's, 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 that's what they wanted us, they wanted to instill in us. And, and they had to instill that in us. Because if your focus isn't on, on being a good soldier, you're going to get killed when you go to war. And that's what's happening to all of us. We're entangled in this world, and, and, uh, and our focus is on this world and so we get killed when we get into the fray. We can't handle the fray. And so God wants to untangle us from this world, and so he sends us difficulty. He sends us boot camps like Jacob went through. And I'll tell you what, everybody in this room needs to examine their, their own lives and say, where am I at? Where am I at right now? Well, there's three places you can be. Three places. Number one, you can be an enemy of God. If you're not saved, if you're not for me, what did Jesus say? You're against me. You're my enemy. Esau was God's enemy. Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. You're an enemy of God. Those who don't gather, they scatter, Jesus said. You're either working for me or you're scattering. You're either in my army or you're not. You're in the army of the enemy. You're on the devil's side. That's one place you might be. The second place you might be is in boot camp. You very well might be in boot camp. If life seems to be meandering along with all sorts of difficulties and, and, and you're getting to the point where you just hate this world and you hate everything about this world and, and life just doesn't seem to make sense, you very well might be in boot camp. And God's trying to untangle you from this world. You very well might be where you're at. But there's some people who get to boot camp and they never get out of boot camp. Now there's a warning for those people. Because you remember, Jacob had some descendants called the Israelites. And they made an exodus into the wilderness. And they were in boot camp in that wilderness because of their disobedience to their commander, to the Lord Jesus himself. They were in, in disobedience. And they spent 40 years in boot camp. And they never got out of boot camp. They died in boot camp. I would have hate to have died in boot camp. Nobody dies in boot camp. But, but, but God's boot camp, you very well might die. If you murmur and complain against the Lord, if we are disobedient to the Lord, at some point, enough's enough. And boot camp ends. So you don't want to be in boot camp forever. And then there are those, I don't want to say of us, but there are certain people who have graduated from boot camp, maybe some MOS training mixed in there too, some advanced training. And they're in the fray. They're in the war. That's where I want to be. My last few years of 
my life, I want to be in the war. I want to be in God's war. I want to be used by God. I want my life to have purpose. I want my life to have eternal purposes. But I've got to get out of boot camp. I've got to get out of MOS. I've got to be prepared by the Lord. I've got to untangle, be untangled from this world and set aside all of these things, that, that this sin that besets us. You know, if you're a Christian and it seems like you're in boot camp. And those of you that have never been in boot camp, I just tell you, it's just, it's just a place you don't want to be. It's a place where, where things just don't happen the way you want them to happen. You don't get to go where you want to go. You don't get to do what you want to do. Everything seems to go wrong. You're yelled at, you're screamed at, and all those things in life, and it just, just, it, it just never makes any sense. Well, you know what? That might not be a bad place for you to be. If, if you're a child of God, it's exactly where God wants you to be. And the Army had, there used to be a commercial. I don't, I don't know how many years ago it was, but it used, to, it used to be a little jingle that said, Be all you can be in the Army. You know, that's what God, if you're in that position, if you're in basic training, if you're in boot camp, the Lord's boot camp, that's what God is doing in your life. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's not a screaming drill sergeant. He's a loving father. And what he's trying to do through those trials that he's putting you through, he's trying to get you to be all that you can be in him. And I got to tell you something. You would be surprised if you could see the future of what you can be if you let him have his way in your life. You don't want to be in boot camp forever. You want to get out there and defray. You want to do something for the Lord. Let the Lord do his work in your life. If you're in boot camp, in advanced training, hey, let it, let it do its work and, and let the Lord do its work and, and uh, you'll praise him when it's all over. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us that, that we know that even in our difficulties, even in our trials, even in those times it seemed like we're in boot camp, Lord, we're in basic training. Lord, a remedial training. And we have to start all over in basic training. And we just go around those mountains over and over again. Lord, help us to see that you have purposes in all of those times of our life. Lord, you have purposes in the good times. You have purposes in the bad times. Lord, and we could just thank you that, that you are a loving God, a kind leader. And everything that you do is working for our good. So, Father... I just thank you for that, that we have that hope through Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you've paid for our sin, and you want us to live sinlessly in this world. You want us to be untangled in this world. And again, I just ask you, Lord, if there's someone here today who who doesn't know you, let them see, Lord, whose side they're on. Make it clear to them where they're heading. And, Lord, lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it won't be easy when they go into that relationship, Lord. They'll, they, we know, just like we've all faced, Lord, you're going to put us through some tough times. But we just thank you that all of those times are working for our good. We thank you in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.